Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome, everybody, to today's edition of The Kingdom and Its Stories. We're delighted to have you with us. And uh, today we're going to be uh, interviewing Richard Jackman. Uh, and uh, I'll have him introduce himself in a second. But I want to just uh, explain again the purpose of our broadcast is to interview people who can help us through their story of creatively thinking about how we can better be Jesus' hands and feet in our community, in our life, in the multiple communities in which we all circulate. So, Richard, it's great to have you with us this morning. Be I would here. like Thank to you. ask you to to begin our uh, our interview by you're giving us an elevator speech of who you are, <laughs> so we have an idea of who, who we're listening to. Go ahead. Well, um, I'm 70, uh, 71 years old, uh, 70, actually 73 years old, excuse me, and uh, I've been a correctional chaplain for 34 years and, and uh, was actually challenged uh, by an um, army chaplain when I was in the army. That was, uh, I traced my ministry back to that point in time because my wife, my wife and I had just become believers and uh, uh, army chaplain challenged the men's uh, men of the chapel at a luncheon one day to uh, see if anybody was interested in visiting uh, incarcerated men and women in German jails. Um, I had been in, over in Germany for a couple of years and I knew, I just knew how lonely it had been at different times. And I could not imagine the loneliness that someone would feel being so far away from home in a foreign country in a jail. And so I tell people, I did what you're not supposed to do in the military. I raised my hand. <laughs> and uh, I say, God saw that hand at that point. And uh, really, the rest is history. Uh, I, uh, it was probably almost 20 years later before I actually uh, went into full-time chaplaincy work, but I had been uh, in various volunteer capacities over those intervening 20 years. So went to college, um, did student practicum at Attica Prison in upstate New York. Um, so I've had a variety of, of opportunities from uh, pretrial confinement facilities when I was in Germany, uh, hardcore prisons um, that have maximum uh, uh, level inmates uh, to uh, county jails. Uh, so I've probably been in just about every correctional type of correctional facility that there is. So, Well, uh, 
Richard, t- tell us a little bit about uh, how uh, about you. You know, where where were you born? How did oh, you okay. meet the Lord? Well, uh, um, I was born in uh, upstate New York in the little town of Dansville, and uh, went to school, uh, Bible College, Elam Bible Institute, and uh, okay. College. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's where I got my basic uh, foundation. Um, I, like I said, I went in the military. That's where my wife and I uh, came to the Lord. We were in East uh, West Germany at the time. Uh, Germany was still divided uh, in 72 and 73. Okay. And um, during the rest of that time, uh, between the time I began following the Lord, it was a godly chaplain and uh, a team of young people from Youth with a Mission that were working with him. Hmm. Um, in 1972, a lot of uh, Christian organizations were in, in Europe getting ready for the Munich Olympics that year as an outreach of focal point. And we had a team of YWAMers on uh, the base I was at. So it was really through the preaching of the chaplain and the witness of those YWAMers that drew me to see Jesus and what it meant to be a Christian in, in a whole different light than I had ever seen before. I grew up going to church and Sunday school, uh, but I tell people, I, you know, it was just a Christmas story, Easter story, and maybe right. a few others right. in between. That was about the sum total of my, my knowledge at the time. But I saw the Holy Spirit uh, work in these people, and they were talking about the Holy Spirit, and I never really uh, heard that uh, before. And that really, tell, me, tell, tell us what you mean when you say you saw the Holy Spirit in, in working through them. Well, these individuals, these individuals, of course, back in the early 70s, this is on the, the final edge of the Jesus movement. And most of these YWAMers were from Southern California. Okay. So they'd been uh, they'd been touched by the, the whole uh, the Jesus movement there. Um, but they were living by faith. They were trusting God for their provision. And uh, they. Uh, that was, I think, that was one of the things that really attracted me was was the fact that they were, they were really doing that, um, and I had never, never heard that before, and I'd never really, and then of course getting acquainted with them, um, you know, we had initial initial YWAM team, and this was back in 1972. Um, we had uh, we had one young lady; she was from Colorado. We had a young man from England and a young man from Ireland. And at that time, the English and the Irish were not on really good speaking terms with one another. So it was seeing these three individuals uh, from various different countries and backgrounds just share the love of Jesus in their life and their testimony. Well, yeah. it's really attractive. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, ne- okay. Now let's move into what does it mean to be a prison chaplain? What do you do? Well, uh, the chaplain is primarily a ministry of presence. That's first and foremost. You are representing Jesus in the facility. You know, not all chaplains are Christians. There are other faith chaplains as well. But as a Christian, uh, the ministry I first and foremost have is a ministry of presence and representing Jesus to the inmate population and to the staff that's there as well. So is this a full-time position for you? Are you in the prison full-time, or do you come and go? Tell us. Well, I, I, I started as a full-time chaplain in uh, 1998. For the, from 1990 to 1998, I was kind of a 
a halftime chaplain. The facility I happened to be at did not have finances to uh, to pay a chaplain full time, uh, but the warden created a halftime position for me, and um, so I was part time there. So, um, okay. So you so so what does that mean practically? What does that look like? It means I'm in there eight hours a day, just like any other staff person. And, and what do you do? Okay, what do I do? Well, inmates, first and foremost, they can request uh, various things from the chaplain, uh, handing out uh, literature, uh, things like Christmas cards, um, counseling inmates who uh, have had a death or a loss emergency in the family, uh, teach Bible classes, lead worship services, um, train and work with a, a, a group of volunteers that come into the facility to uh, provide services of various kinds for the inmate population. Uh, try and schedule uh, special groups from the outside that may want to come in and do, you know, maybe a one-shot worship service. Or um, there are a number of groups out there that uh, go around the country from prisons to prisons and do presentations. Of course, Prison Fellowship is probably one of the best-known groups. But uh, when I was in Colorado, we had uh, a group that came in. Uh, I don't believe it was. Uh, prison fellowship, but we had a, a big, uh, that facility was about three, 3000, uh, population. And we had four large yards and, uh, this group came in, they had a, a small stage they set up uh, out on the yard, this outdoors on the yard. And, uh, the warden allowed them to bring in, uh, some custom cars and some custom motorcycles. And so, this group did a worship service, and of course, the cars and the motorcycles are attractive to of course. Uh, the inmate population. And uh, so they would have uh, teams of people gathered around there to converse with the inmates and share their faith that way. So um, unfortunately, there's more administrative work to this job than I care for. Uh, I'd rather be face-to-face sharing with uh, the inmates about the Lord, uh, but it seems like it's over the years, there's been more and more and more administrative work attached to the job. So anyway, that's primarily what I do. Um, okay. I will, right. I will counsel with uh, staff uh, from time to time. I've done marriages for staff. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're there being the presence of Jesus to everyone that's in the, in that facility. Okay. So I understand that that one of the things that you love to do is disciple the inmates. What what does that look like? And tell us some stories of what that means and what well, that looks like. It's uh, it's been different over the years. Currently, the the facility I'm at is a the, the nature of the facility will dictate to what you're what you're able to do. Um, okay, you're in a high custody uh, uh, facility then the amount of time you have um, either in groups, especially in groups, is going to be limited by the security uh, issues related to that population. If you're in lower custody facility like I am right now, um, where, you know, we have maybe six to 700 inmates uh, in the facility, half of those inmates are out working outside the facility during the day because they're, they're at the very end of their sentencing. And, uh, and so I only <laughs> I only have a limited amount of time to to work with them uh, when they come back. Usually about the middle of the afternoon, around one to two o'clock. But there's only a short window then before chow and then the evening uh, services when the volunteers come in. But anyway, uh, I'm able to go into the, into the dorms. 
I'm able to go cell to cell. Um, and depending uh, on what's going on, different times of the year, um, I may go, uh, I, I have gone uh, with other chaplains that uh, I have, was working with. We'd go cell to cell, handing out Christmas cards, uh, things related to the holidays and stuff. Um, probably one of the most difficult things is doing uh, notifications of a death of a family member. Okay. Um, that's, uh, that's very hard for inmates. No one, when they commit their crime, thinks about the fact that they're going to go to jail or prison and going to lose a family member. Right. That's not on their mind. Right. And so that's a very vulnerable time. Um, so helping, uh, doing grief counseling and helping the inmates uh, process that is, is, a, is a big part. Um, okay. I want you to tell us some stories that illustrate uh, your, you know, to tell so we under understand from real life examples what what it looks like to be a chaplain and how God has used you to minister to the inmates. Before we do, I need to do a station break and just remind everybody that we're listening to the Kingdom and His Stories, where we interview people who can help us think outside the box of how we might better be Jesus' hands and feet in the vocation that God has called us to, whether that's being a teacher or a a caregiver or a housewife or whatever it is. And in this case, we're interviewing uh, Richard Jackman, who's a, um, who is a chaplain in uh, the Florence prison system in Arizona. So go ahead, uh, uh, Richard, tell us, tell us some stories that illustrate what, what it, how God has used you to be Jesus hands and feet to the inmates that you're working with right now. Well, like I said, there's, there's nothing, um, you know, you don't really have an a, quote, ordinary day when you walk through the, <laughs> the, the main entrance in the prison, because you never know what's happened during the hours you've been gone. And um, you may be uh, planning to do something and there can be a disturbance. Um, you can uh, plan to have a Bible study all scheduled and make an announcement for it. And maybe you, you know, you, you're hoping for 15 or 20 guys to show up. Maybe you get three or four. Uh, and uh, sometimes when you're um, like uh, one of the things I do here is uh, I have to facilitate, but I say facilitate, I have to observe um, and, and uh, put it together so the native Americans can do their sweat lodge. Well, I, I have to, I sit outside the uh, chow hall where I can observe them. And uh, of course the guys are filing out after chow and it's a beautiful time to just, just wait. It's kind of like fishing, you know, it's kind of wait and see see who's going to bite, you know, and there's probably at least a dozen guys that will be coming out, you know, and they'll have something they want to stop and talk about. And uh, sometimes it's a Bible question. Sometimes they're requesting a Bible, uh, it can be anything and everything. And, you know, that's that's one of the things I'm currently doing. In the past, though, I've seen uh, I've seen the Lord work in a lot of different ways. Um, well, tell us tell us some stories about that. Well, I can't take credit for this one story. A uh, young man named Johnny. Johnny was a uh, 15 year Marine Corps veteran and um, actually was in charge of a, a military stockade in Okinawa 
But he came back to the States and he and a buddy of his went out one night celebrating and they got in an accident and his buddy was killed and John Johnny was uh, sentenced to five years in prison. So he gets to the facility I'm at and, and uh, of course he's on the high custody side and uh, he gets challenged by the uh, yard boss, by the inmate yard boss and and being a Marine, he's not going to put up with a lot of nonsense. So they get into a fight and they both go to segregation to the hole. Well, we provided Johnny with a Bible. Okay, this is the Holy Spirit all the way. And and Johnny gets saved in a in a isolated cell with a Bible. And uh he just is he becomes an on fire Christian after that. He eventually becomes my uh chaplain's clerk during the rest okay. of the time that he's there. Yeah. And if any man ever had the gift of evangelism, Johnny did, because uh, um, he would just openly, fearlessly talk to other inmates about the Lord. And uh, I could be I'd be walking out of the facility one night and uh, he'd be he'd be getting some exercise, walking around the perimeter of the yard. He'd see me and he'd stop and say, chap, says, right over there last night, we had three guys except Jesus. And, uh, I mean, he was just like that. Uh, he'd report to work in the morning and in, in perfect Marine Corps mode, he'd say, what do you got for me today, sir? You know, he just, he was just ready to go. Okay. He led most of his family to the Lord while he was incarcerated. And, um, so he's one of those trophies that I call, um, there were other guys that, um, you know, not everybody in prison is, you know, a lot of times because of Hollywood, we stereotype people in prison and people in prison are just as varied as everybody in the community that you can imagine. They're not all hardened criminals. Um, many of them are in there for the first time. They made a mistake. They don't want to come back. Um, others, um, you know, have various personal experiences that have led them into a life of crime. So it varies in terms of how you're working with people. Mental health issues are a big deal. Drugs are a big deal. Um, so a lot of, of individual counseling, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I had another gentleman who was, I think, a, a, the thing that most people don't like to talk about are sex offenders. Um, but I had one gentleman who was incarcerated for a, a sexual, sexual offense. Um, and, uh, we would not only teach Bible courses, we'd also teach other course addiction and, uh, um, um, criminal thinking, how uh, biblical solutions to criminal thinking, things like that. Okay. And, uh, of course we could give certificates out for those and guys were really big on getting a certificate for something because they want to be able to take that to the judge when they go to the, go to the court. Is, is that that seems to make does that make a difference when well you appear before the judge? You know that's that's one thing that I have to uh, explain to these guys because very easy very easy in their position uh, to think that if they have a stack of certificates that they've gotten for taking all these different classes and that they can wave them in front of the judge that somehow they're going to get either a, a parole date or the lower custody level or something. Yes. yes. But I have countered that many, many, many times. And I've told them, I said, the judge really isn't interested in how many certificates you have. I said, when you go in front of the judge, what you have to tell him 
and you don't have to be, you know, you have to have a lot, but you've got to pick one or two things that you actually learned in any one of those courses okay. and tell the judge what it is, how it's impacted your life, and how you think it's going to make a change and difference in your life when you get on the outside. Now, unfortunately, the judge is not looking for, well, I became a Christian. Okay. Judges aren't looking for that kind of thing. Even though you and I know that Christ is is the bottom line as far as making a change. Because I've told guys before, I said, you can get all the tools for, for your head knowledge. But if the heart's not changed, it doesn't matter how many tools you've got in the toolbox. Eventually, you're going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Richard, I have a question. So. The guys that you've been disciple, uh, discipling, have you have you seen real changes in their life that have really helped these guys uh, be able to cope better with with the situation they're in? I can say yes, not in huge quantities. You know, I mean, I realize that the general public likes large numbers. You don't get that in this kind of work. You, you've got to be satisfied with you know, with one or two here and there. I've been a chaplain for, for like I said, 34 years. Uh, I could probably, in the facilities I've been in during that time, I've, I can probably list maybe eight to ten individuals that I know genuinely uh, had changes that are going to keep them out. Right. Now, like I said, a lot depends on the level of custody level that they're in and um, the access that you have to them. But, you know, there's there's a couple of guys in, in the, one of the big facilities in Colorado where I was at. Um, these guys were both uh, licensed electricians on the outside. Right. Uh, they didn't have any previous criminal record, um, but they both became Christians while they were in. And um, we, at, at that facility, actually had a local community college that uh, – um, would allow an inmate to get his associate's degree. And uh, one of these two guys, uh, Donnie, was uh, actually earned his degree. And, of course, it was kind of one of those one subject at a time type of things. Right. And uh, Donnie would come into my office after an evening class and uh, practically regurgitate all the information he'd learned in the previous evening's class. Um Donnie had uh, had worked for us for a short period of time. I've been involved in two what we call faith uh, faith pods, faith based programs, and uh, that's another way that you can work with inmates if you have the, the ability to put some kind of a faith based in house program together. Um, then you then you get to teach um, more in depth Bible material, right? Uh, marriage and family uh, material, that sort of thing. Yeah, Richard, one of the things that that really struck me during our uh, interview time together is that you said you've been a chaplain for 30-some years. 34 years. 34 years, and you can think of maybe eight or ten people that God has allowed you to really influence. And I'm thinking, you know what? That might not be a number that's impressive to statisticians. But to the Lord, every one of those individuals who's come to him is worth <laughs> worth more than the world. Amen. And uh, 
And what a gift to be able to be used by the Lord to influence even one life. But you've got more than half a dozen <laughs> that God has given you. What a great, what a great privilege. Richard, you've got 60 minutes. Not minutes, seconds. 60 seconds. <laughs> 60 seconds. <laughs> what would you say to those who are listening about being Jesus' hands and feet in the communities where God has placed them? Go ahead. For them? Well, first of all, I think one of the biggest needs right now is re-entry ministry, helping people get back into society after they have finished their sentence. Um, that's okay. one of the biggest hurdles that guys have to get over. And there are some ministries like the Longside Ministries uh, and others that do work. And you really have to start that work while they're still on the inside. So it takes a, a, a large number of people well-coordinated uh, to do something like that, whether it's churches or whether it's a parachurch organization. I would say that's the biggest need right now. So that's, a call, is, that's a call to those who are listening. Yes. And, so, and those that are going inside, one of my biggest frustrations is a poor delivery of the gospel. Amen. And with that, Richard, we've got to close. God bless you. Thank you for sharing your life story with us today. Thank you. God bless those of you who are listening and encourage you to be Jesus' hands and feet in your life. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.